five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
Yes, yes, I can't. 
بکودیم و ما درسینای شب و سوم میادیم نیش ما بخوشانای لرای خلفانای مسیس ویارم خو شب و شب و سمنو خو much time left and before I go I want to tell you that after I'm gone you should give the store to our son Jack but Papa you know Jack he always wanted to make changes he'll run it down better you should give it to Joey okay mama but the house in the country should go to our daughter Ethel. Papa, what does Ethel need that big house? They have no children. She'll never use it. Better you should give it to Doris. Okay, Mama. <laughs> but the new car, I would like for our Freddy to have. Freddy? But Papa, you know how crazy Freddy is with his reckless driving and with the girls. Better you should give the car to Jack. Uh, Mama, 
Who's dying, you or me? <laughs> Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM, and it's Erev Shabbos Zohar, which means we're getting closer and closer to Purim. Comedy segments are even more meaningful. Want to dedicate that comedy segment, which we rarely do. We rarely dedicate comedy segments. But I'm dedicating that comedy segment to our good friend Aaron Schechter, who I ran into last night, which was really, really wonderful. He sends his best to the entire NSN audience. And it was wonderful reuniting with him and the schmoozing about NSN and specifically about our Adar comedy segments. Friday morning broadcast on this March the 15th, the eighth day in the month of Adar 2, the year 5779. Before the comedy, you heard some uh, Yaakov Shweki with Muzika. Oh, excuse me. I'm not going in order here. Um, you heard Eitan Freilich with Yomze. Let's go backwards backwards in order. Uh, before that one, Yoni Z with Miadir. Then Yaakov Shweki with Muzika. You heard Yerachmiel on the choir with Mugain. Shabbos done by Shlomi Gertner. And uh, Yehuda Green with Vanahapohu. Perfect for a uh, Friday in Adar. And of course, Regesh, Modani opening things up. And we say good morning. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas by Yikra. It is, in fact, Erev Shabbos Zachar. You know the importance of being in shul tomorrow and hearing Parshas Zachar. Rabbi Yudin will be uh, discussing it, no doubt, during the Torah portion of the week discussion in the 8 o'clock hour. Plus, Rabbi Yudin is going to join us afterward live via telephone. We'll uh, spend a couple of minutes talking about the uh, 50th anniversary celebration, the tribute to Rabbi Mrs. Yudin. Uh, that'll be happening later on, all in the 8 o'clock hour. So a big day here at uh, JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Stay tuned. Candle lighting at 642. I know it sounds late because we're now on daylight saving time. 642 is candle lighting time. We are still today a six-hour difference with Israel from the Eastern time zone. So keep that in mind before you make all your pre-Shabbos Israel calls. <laughs> but 642 is candle lighting in this area. Again, much later than we are used to. Wednesday is Tanis Esther, Thursday is Purim, but Tuesday, just a couple of broadcast days from now, Tuesday we'll be at the Kushner, at the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. We'll be there broadcasting Tuesday morning, JM in the AM. Join us. We'll meet some amazing people. I am sure we will speak with some spectacular kids and have a great time at the Kushner schools on Tuesday morning. There is nothing like being in a school during Purim week when the entire atmosphere of Adar and Purim is just all over the place. In the hallways, in the classrooms, everyone anticipating Tanis Esther and Purim, and then, of course, the Shushan Purim celebrations on Friday that are going on in a whole bunch of schools in the Yeshiva League. So all of that, we kick off with our friends at Kushner this coming Tuesday, and we're very much looking forward to it here at JM in the AM. 50 degrees outside with 83% humidity. Winds are... Uh, South at 4 miles an hour. Rain today with a high of 67. Then tonight, rain early and a low 45. Tomorrow, partly cloudy. A high shop is 51 degrees. Not bad, huh? 54 right now in Yerushalayim where a lot of people, a lot of people are completing the half marathon around now. Uh, we've already gotten pictures and reports from the Jerusalem Marathon. A lot of people completing the marathon. A lot of people completing the half marathon. Yerushalayim is abuzz with runners and people who are... Uh, who are defeating the Jerusalem half marathon and full marathon course. That's right. <laughs> it's the only time we like to see Jerusalem uh, and defeat in the same sentence when people are uh, o overcoming 
their um, uh, their boundary, their own personal boundaries, and are excelling at this incredible personal achievement. So those who have, uh, in fact, gone ahead and defeated the course in Jerusalem and have uh, won their own personal half marathon or full marathon, we say congratulations from all of us here at JM in the AM. Lots of serious stuff going on in Israel. These two rockets that were fired from Gaza to Tel Aviv, uh, obviously that story continues to be in the news, and it, it starts to get a little bit confusing when you hear the Israelis or some people on Israel's side talking about how it was a mistake by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. Israel did respond, as you assumed they would. It was quite a night, uh, Thursday night, in Israel, especially in the Gaza region. And we'll talk more about all of this with Malcolm Honline about an hour from now, the weekly update. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, will join us here for the weekly update at JM and the AM. All of us uh, we were spending a lot of last evening very concerned about uh, the news from Tel Aviv. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, this will be uh, regarded as an isolated incident uh, and that the Israeli response that has been so strong overnight uh, will deter any type of accidents and mistakes in the future. We shall see. Please, God. JM in the AM, more coming up. Keep it here on a Friday, Erev Shabbos. As we said, candlelighting in New York is 642. We are at the Kushner School on Tuesday. We've got a big, big Friday here at JM in the AM and the Nachum Siegel Network. Keep it right here with Lenny Solomon and Schlockrock at JM in the AM.
אל הדרך. וכל אחד מביא דעה לאן שווה ללכת, ומה שכדאי לך. כי יש במערכת את הישן והמוכר, אבל להם בעצם כולנו אותו דבר. תגיד לי מה בחרת, מה ויתרת? תגיד לי מה הכיוון שלך? שכאן תוכל לתת. תגיד לי מה, מה אתה באמת? It ain't no easy challenge To take the road, let's travel by But if you've got talent Perhaps you should be to try The world might tell you different But who can dictate what to choose? Gotta know your mission is between Hashem and you. Hey, תגיד לי מה, מה בחרת, מה ויתרת? Hey, תגיד לי מה, מה הכיוון שלך? כי אלוקים נותן לך כדי שכאן תוכל לתת. Hey, תגיד לי מה, מה אתה באמת?
A nice Purim medley to wrap up hour number one on this Erev Shabbos Zohar here at JM in the AM. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayikra and Shabbos Zohar with candlelighting in New York at 6.42. Pretty late, huh? 6.42 is uh, later than we are used to now that we're on Daylight Savings Time. Tuesday, broadcasting live from the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. And Wednesday is Tanis Esther. And Thursday is the great holiday of Purim. We're getting ready for the uh, big holiday less than a week away. All right. Uh, before the uh, Purim medley, you heard brand new Eitan Katz with May Ayin off of uh, Ashrecha. Hey Ha, done by uh, Uzi Bodner. That's brand new. Yonatan Razel and Hatov. Modin with David Perlman. Schlock Rocks the Hot Air off of Shira Yatera. Friday morning, JM in the AM. NSN on the road in Israel last week. Brought to you by Aaron's Casino Farms. Make sure to take Aaron's Casino Farms on the road with you this Pesach for all your Pesach needs. And don't forget when you walk into Aaron's today, like I will, they've got the brand new Hava Java. The brand new Hava Java. Take advantage. Enjoy a great drink or snack with Hava Java at Aaron's Casino Farms. Golly, it's on the background to our news for Israel coming up. It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and Alchemsegal.com on the Alchemsegal network and of course in the beloved NSN app. Uh, golly, it's on the background and um, weekly update 40 minutes away. Malcolm Honline, executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations will join us. Rabbi Yudin will address us about Vayikra and Parsha Zachar, and we'll have a chance to speak with him live about the big 50th anniversary tribute dinner coming up as well, all happening this morning. Galei Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. News, 1 p.m. newscast next. Galei Tzal, Shalom Rav, Kanoam Aviram, Mimma Shekorea Akshav. Aslama Abitronit, Solelot Kipat Barzel Nosafot, Nifresu Berachavea Medina. כתבנו לענייני צבא וביטחון צחי דבוש. ברקע שיגורי הרקטות של חמאס לגושדן והשיגורים הבוקר ליישובי עוטף עזה, בצהל נערכים להתפתחות של האירועים הביטחוניים. חיל האוויר פרס מספר סוללות נוספות של כיפת ברזל במיקומים שונים ברחבי ישראל, במטרה למנוע נפילות של רקטות בריכוזי אוכלוסייה. בתוך כך, אחרי שנה של הפגנות רצופות בימי שישי ברצועת עזה, לראשונה הודיעו המארגנים כי היום לא יפגינו. כתבנו ג'קי חוגי. בהודעה שפרסמה הרשות הלאומית לתהלוכות השיבה, זה כינויו של הגוף המארגן, נאמר כי ההחלטה הזו התקבלה באופן יוצא דופן ומחשש לבני עמנו. ההמונים נקראו לבוא להפגנת הענק בגבול בעוד שבועיים, במלות שנה לאירועים. בצהל העריכו כי הירי לעבר גושדן אמש מקורו בטעות של חמאס. עם זאת צהל הגיב בתקיפת מאה יעדי טרור בעזה. הטבח בניו זילנד, 49 בני אדם נרצחו בשני אירועי ירי בשני מסגדים בעיר קרייסט צ'רץ'. ממשלת ניו זילנד העלתה את רמת הכוננות לדרגה גבוהה. כתבתנו אינה אנטונוב. מפקד המשטרה בניו זילנד הודיע כי אחד מארבעת החשודים בשנות ה-20 לחייו הואשם ברצח ויופיע מחר בפני בית המשפט, וכי מסתמן שאחד מהעצורים לא קשור לטבח. מספר ההרוגים עלה ל-49, 20 מהפצועים במצב קשה. היורים טבחו בשני המסגדים בזמן תפילת השישי. כלי רכב ממולכד נמצא במרחק קילומטרים ספורים מהזירות. חבר הכנסת משה גפני, יושב ראש דגל התורה, אומר, אני לא רוצה שנשים יתערבו לנו בפוליטיקה. כתבנו יאיר אורביאטו. אין אישה ביהדות התורה כי אף חרדית אמיתית לא הידרדרה לכנסת. כך אמר יושב ראש דגל התורה חבר הכנסת משה גפני באירוע שישי תרבות בבית שמש. הוא הוסיף, נשים אחראיות לחינוך ולרווחה, אנחנו לא נגד שנשים ייבחרו, אבל שלא יתערבו לנו. 
פרסום ראשון, שביתת רופאי השיניים בקופת חולים מאוחדת תופסק לאחר שהצדדים הגיעו להבנות. כתבנו מאיר מרציאנו. לאחר פגישת משא ומתן של השעות האחרונות, הנהלת הקופה ורופאי השיניים הגיעו להסכמות, והשביתה שנקטו בה הרופאים בשלושת הימים האחרונים תופסק. הסכם קיבוצי ייחתם בתחילת שבוע הבא, וייכללו בו סעיפים של תוספת שכר וימי חופשה. Friday for Future, שישי למען העתיד. עשרות אלפי תלמידים בכ-90 מדינות שונות בעולם משביתים את הלימודים ומפגינים למען שמירה על כדור הארץ. גם בישראל מאות תלמידים מפגינים ודורשים מהממשלה לפעול למען המטרה. אם אין עתיד, אין חינוך. על פי נתוני האו"ם, התחממות כדור הארץ צפויה להגדיל את מספר הבצורות והסופות הקטלניות, תהפוך עשרות בני אדם לפליטים, ותוביל להאחדה המונית של בעלי חיים ברחבי העולם. ותחזית מזג האוויר לסוף השבוע, התחממות קלה. היום צפויים גשמים מקומיים, בעיקר בצפון הארץ ובמרכזה. בשבת הטמפרטורות תרדנה ותהיינה נמוכות מהרגיל לעונה. בחרמון ירד שלג. היום פתוח אתר החרמון למבקרים, ואילו מחר האתר יהיה סגור עקב תנאי מזג האוויר. אלה החדשות שעורכת תום ויינטראוגלוק. עכשיו בגלי צה"ל, אודה
To say my goodbyes, she told me the truth with tears in her eyes. I was taken by force. We're Jewish now. Run. Here's a picture to treasure. It's where you come from. They gathered and stared at the photo he held, an image of his grandfather's grave. It beheld Rab Shloimeh Al Kabitz, his cave in Svaf. Who wrote Lichadoidi? We sing Lel Shabbos.
Al Cala, voy a besarlo. 
JM in the AM with Itzik Dadya and the boy Vishalom. Timche es Zecher Amalek. Mordechai ben David with that one. And Baruch Levine with the Lachado D to open up the hour. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's JM in the AM. Mazal Tov to the 40,000 who participated in the Jerusalem Marathon today. All different races, all different uh, courses. But together, 40,000 people who hit the streets of Jerusalem, which is pretty cool, I must say. The winner. For those of you who were wondering if somebody affiliated with this network would win, the answer is no. The winner of the full marathon was Ronald Kemeli Korgat of Kenya, who ran the Jerusalem full marathon in two hours, 18 minutes, and 47 seconds. Mazal tov from all of us here at JM in the AM. And to all the uh, all the winners and runners, every, everybody's a winner, of course, as the expression goes. And in this case, I think we can all agree with that. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff out there. Eighteen minutes after the hour, Friday morning at JM and the AM, Ari Calker is with us live via telephone from Israel. He's director of English programming for Imtirtzu. Those of you who are longtime listeners, you know that at one time we really featured the work of Imtirtzu a lot here at JM and the AM. Imtirtzu is described on the web as a non-governmental Zionist organization based in Israel, strengthening the values of Zionism in Israel as a Jewish and democratic state. It was established back in 2006 and has grown to become Israel's largest and most influential grassroots Zionist organization in the middle of a campaign, a campaign that... uh, is um, part of the Cause Match website. You could donate at Cause Match to Imtirtsu. And why you may want to donate, Ari Calker could tell us about that. Director of English Programming for Imtirtsu, Ari Calker from Israel. Boker Tov, welcome to JM in the AM. Boker Tov, Nochum, and to all your listeners, standing here overlooking the hills of Judea from my house in Jerusalem, it's never been a more beautiful Friday morning or afternoon for us. <laughs> that I am sure. All right. You you heard my description as I read it off of the World Wide Web. Why don't you tell our listeners what Imtirtsu is doing on a daily basis? Imtirtsu on a daily basis is fighting to def- educate and defend the values of Zionism in Israel. Now, I know that idea sounds a little bit crazy. Why would we have to educate and defend the the ideals of Zionism in Israel. Like, that should be obvious. That's like saying, you know, how you can teach a Chabad guy to put on tefillin. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but uh, in Israel, there's certain things. It's, it's, Zionism is like a muscle, and if you don't use it and work it out regularly, it atrophies, and it, it slowly weakens itself. So in Israel, we're, we're, we're protecting these ideals by constantly educating on uh, college campuses, on high schools, in greater society, about the ideals of what Zionism and making it relevant to today. You know, we're not drying out swamps anymore, and we're not planting new fields, and thank God we have lots of forests, but Zionism is about much more than that. Zionism is about the nation and the worldwide Jewish people coming home and rebuilding their homeland and a country that uh, reflects the values of ourselves as a people. So that's what we're doing. And the, uh, and the One p- of our biggest... Yeah. yeah. Now, I was going to say, the bril- and one of the brilliant strategies early on of Imtirtzu was hitting the high school and college campuses, really starting at the place that was being most affected by the uh, by the rhetoric of anti-Zionism and anti-Israel, and at the same time, obviously, 
laying a foundation for the future of Israel, making sure the future generations would be strong in their Zionist ideals. Exactly. Well, that's exactly where the whole program started. In 2006, for those that remember, there was the Second Lebanon War. Right. I was still I was still in my regular service at that time, but the reservists that fought the war who left their college campuses and they went and fought a war, and they come back to college campuses and instead of being held as heroes and protectors and being appreciated, they're being attacked as oppressors and war criminals and evil people, which raised this whole red flag. How is it possible that Israeli soldiers fighting war defend the state of Israel and the Jewish people are coming back to their college campuses and being not just disrespected, but being told that what they did was evil. And it created this idea that really we do have to focus in Israel on educating and strengthening those values here at home before we can even reach out and strengthen those values and encourage them abroad. Ari Calker is with us, Director of English Programming for Imtir Tzu. Now, now this most recent campaign, the one that's going on now and that wraps up on Sunday, uh, the, the title the way it's introduced to the public through the webpage on Cause Match is as follows. It says, help Imtir Tzu's video commandos stop harassment and demonization of Israeli soldiers. What is this specific effort about? This specific effort is about combating what's become a very widespread phenomenon here in Israel, where anti-Israel activists come into the country as tourists, and instead of touring the country and seeing the beauty we have to offer, they come and they find soldiers at checkpoints uh, in Hebron or on the Gaza border, and they just harass them, and they put cameras up close and in their faces, they get as close as they can to them, and they wait for that gotcha moment. They wait for, you know, the hour and a half of some situation going on for that one moment that they can take completely out of context and show only that one second of time, and that's the picture in the video they take back with them to where they came from and say, oh, Israel really is evil. Israel really is bad. And they fulfill all this propaganda. And what we realized was, is we don't have to reinvent the wheel. We can use their own method against them. So it sounds crazy. We're going to film the guy filming the guy <laughs> filming the soldier. <laughs> Which, but it's, 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 it's simplicity is what makes it so effective because they're coming, they're not expecting that someone's going to start telling the world who they are. And we're going to tag them in their own videos and show everyone and show the world and their communities back at home what it is that they're doing. And they'll put up a video with the 10 seconds taken out of context, and we'll put up the video for the full 30 minutes showing that the soldier wasn't just behaving properly and appropriately. He had tremendous patience beforehand, and that whatever the incident was, it was perfectly fine, and there's no big deal here. So we're trying to help prevent the spread of propaganda on the one hand, and on the other hand, we're trying to strengthen the soldiers where they realize that they're not alone. They were sent there, and the army's there, but in the end of the day, they're there to protect the state of Israel. They're not there to necessarily worry about the image abroad and this activist and how they feel. They have a job to do, a duty to fulfill. It's not part of their toolbox of things that they can do. So by us showing up and filming the anti-Israel activists and helping push them away, the soldier is emboldened to be strengthened and really realize that we care about him. We've taken responsibility to protect our soldiers from these people, and it's been tremendously successful. It's been a tremendously successful approach, and now we're looking to expand it beyond just, you know, those parts of Yudav Shomron that are close to us and on the Gaza border, and to really expand it to all of Yudav Shomron and all of our borders, 
and therefore we need the help of everybody. We need help all of Amisra. Uh Ari, for us it was easy. You sent us a link. What's what's the easiest way for people to contribute between now and Sunday to this specific campaign? I see you're close to the goal, so our listeners literally can put you really, really close uh, to or over the goal. Uh, what's the easiest way for people listening right now to access the uh, donate page and to participate in this effort? The easiest way is to go to imti, I-N-T-I, dot org, dot I-L, click the American flag for English, and it'll pop up right there in front of you how to donate. All right, I-M-T-I for Imtirtu, I-M-T-I. Again, for Imtirtu, you go to the website, and when you click on the American flag for English, you'll be able to donate and participate in this most recent campaign. Uh, look, I always say it to the people at Imtirtu, they're fighting an amazing battle and doing a great job at it in a very I believe, intelligent and strategic way. So, Chazak V'Amatz, continued success to you and your entire staff and all your colleagues. And I hope this uh, campaign, with the help of our listeners, is a great success. Amen. Thank you, Nochem. There you go. Imtirtu. I-M-T-I. Imtirtu. Click on the the American flag, donate, and be part of this most recent campaign. It has a $50,000 goal. They're almost there. And they are really on the front lines on a daily basis for the last many, many years, fighting these battles and doing it very effectively and uh, with great precision and strategy. Um, JM and the AM, Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Vayikra, Erev Shabbos, Zachar, in New York. Candle lighting is at 642, much later than we're used to, now that we're on daylight savings time. Tuesday, we broadcast from the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. That'll be Tuesday. Uh, pre-Purim. Wednesday is Zatanis Esther. Thursday is Purim itself. You'll be treated to an amazing day of great Purim music here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Shushan Purim on Friday. Big week next week coming up. I hope you'll be with us all week long right here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Malcolm Holmline is going to join us in a few minutes. Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. We will talk about what's happening in this amazing world of ours. So join us coming up. And, of course, Rabbi Yudin not only will present about Parshas Vayikra and Shabbos Zohar, he's going to join us live via telephone, talk about the big dinner coming up April 7th. Lots going on on a Friday at JM in the AM. Le
brand new 8-ton cats. Friday morning. Erev Shabbos Parshas Vayikra. Erev Shabbos Zachar. Never forget that there are people who want to obliterate the Jewish nation. Sometimes they hide their uh, anti-Semitism behind anti-Zionism. Keep that in mind, everybody. Candle lighting at 642 in New York, a lot later than we're used to now with daylight savings time. Uh, Wednesday is Tanis Esther. Thursday is Purim. Don't forget, on Tuesday, uh, before we get to either of those two days, on Tuesday we'll be uh, broadcasting live from the Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy, Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. Looking forward to our visit to Livingston, New Jersey on Tuesday morning. Nothing like school spirit and Purim spirit coming together during the week of Purim. So we look forward to uh, celebrating with our friends at Kushner this coming uh, Tuesday. Uh, Malcolm Honline is with us uh, live via telephone. I remind you that he will be spending Pesach 2019 in Puerto Vallarta. Puerto Vallarta. You can go to the website, PesachInVallarta.com. Again, that's PesachInVallarta.com. Or you could use the phone number, 786-290-5900. One nine seven eight six two nine zero five nine one nine. We thank our friends at JewishWorldReview.com. If you want to print out thousands of articles before Shabbos about the uh, about Israel and the Jewish world, JewishWorldReview.com is an excellent place to start. And congratulations to the forty thousand plus people who won their personal race against the Jerusalem race course today at the Jerusalem Marathon. And congratulations to the winner who uh, hails from Kenya and completed the full marathon in just over two hours and 18 minutes. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us for the weekly update on a Friday morning at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's great to be with you, Nachum, and to congratulate Gabriella Bach and Ephraim Stein, two of the 40,000 who are running and raising money for very worthwhile stuff, and uh, all of the others. We should note that most of the people, or many of the people, I don't, I don't think the uh, winner necessarily, but the others were <laughs> running with sponsorship to raise money for all different groups, uh, Shalva, and, um, et cetera. Yes, and congratulations to all of our uh, family, friends, uh, staff members, etc., who completed their own course. And Malcolm, this is the only time that we like to see people defeat the streets of Jerusalem to over <laughs> to overcome the amazing obstacle that Jerusalem can be when one tries to run and one tries to make it through their own course. So, uh, congratulations to the forty thousand plus. Um, well, you know what our concern is. Uh, I mean, there are a lot of concerns out there. <laughs> It's been a busy week, but yesterday we learned about these uh, two rockets fired from Gaza in the direction of and right over Tel Aviv. Uh, What can you tell us uh, the latest in terms of the episode and the latest in terms of Israel's response? Well, the latest uh, news is obviously that uh, Israel has taken this very seriously, and the um, response, from what I've seen now, has been uh, very strong with about 100 um, different responses to the um, to this attack because this crosses a really serious red line. It's the first time in five years that rockets hit uh, the Tel Aviv area, and although they didn't do any damage, the um, there were also uh, nine rockets fired at um, border towns, and the um, uh, 
you know, there's a question amongst some of the military people about whether there was an intention to hit Tel Aviv or whether it was a mistake. But what, what was interesting to me is that uh, the debate over who was responsible with each side blaming the other, Hamas blaming Tij, the Palestinian Islamic Jihad, and Palestinian Jihad blaming Hamas. In fact, almost immediately, uh, Hamas interior ministry came out with a statement saying that they're denouncing the attack, and then you had both sides issuing denials of responsibility when usually they jump to claim responsibility for every attack that takes place, even if they had nothing to do with it. And the, um, you know, they recognized the severity and understood that there would be a very strong response, as Israel must, not because there's an election, as people cynically say, and I don't know who's the beneficiary. I think it can go both ways when you have, you know, Gantz pointing to the fact that he is, that, that of his four top leaders, three are former chiefs of staff and the, of the IDF, and that they will be the security uh, guarantor, and Bibi, of course, has always run as the security prime minister. So this is a, you know, a serious maneuver. It shows their capability, which I think is, is another message that uh, Hamas has the ability to hit the targets. Initially, people were concerned that this came from the north, uh, but um, but it's clearly understood today that that is, is not the case. So we'll still learn more about it, but this is, uh, they didn't fire the Iron Dome, as people said. It was, these both uh, uh, landed in, in no man's areas. Uh, there's maybe an additional one that landed in Gaza itself. It's funny, because it, when you say they didn't use Iron Dome, you mean the ones for the two over Tel Aviv? Right. Because it's funny, the the videos, the videos that we were so I thought the same thing, but I got several emails saying to me that in fact it wasn't that it wasn't necessary. Um, they may have exploded on their own, you know. They they just expired right. when they condemned or well, I forgot what the word you used. When they you know made sure that they were not held responsible, meaning the terrorist groups for the ones over Tel Aviv. Did they also, did they also condemn? Uh, the ones that were not over Tel Aviv, the ones that were in the in areas that we would think they were more likely to try to hit. Well, that came later. That came as a response to the yeah. Israel's response, which is always, you know, it's, it becomes a tit for tat, and they have to show that they are, are responding to it. And what's the benefit of Israel either agreeing or establishing and then announcing that it was likely an accident? I don't know. It just it seems a strange strategy to me. Like, why say anything in terms of? You know, what Israel does or does not believe really happened in terms of what the enemy was trying to do. Yeah, you know, until they really know. But they, they, they're clearly getting messages from the, uh, from the launch sources uh, that uh, are trying to send a message. So it's A, it calms down the population in Tel Aviv to know that they're not really the target, that this was, you know, a one-off, that it's not something that they're going to be, that's going to be happening regularly. Right. And, um um, you know, so that that mitigates some of the the impact. Yeah, the fear, I guess. Then, of course, the ongoing fear, and you know, there are a lot of conferences, conventions. People then say, "Well, if Tel Aviv is going to come under fire, and right. et cetera." So you you try to minimize the concern. You know, for for many people, I think six people were hospitalized with shock. For many people, and I got phone calls immediately about it. Um, it was it was again uh, you know traumatic having to go back after years of not experiencing right. it that it it happened again it's this um, 
is disconcerting for them. And then there's the whole issue of Israeli reaction, you know, separating Tel Aviv from the rest of the country and, you know, why would we be more concerned or deal with it differently in the aftermath because it's Tel Aviv compared to other areas that are hit on a consistent basis? I'm sure that went through your mind as well. It, it, well, it does because, but first of all, when you have such a densely populated area, right. yeah, that becomes, that. Um, you know, the damage that can be done and the number of people hurt can be much greater. And, you know, there is a symbolism about attacking a major city. The same thing would be true. They don't attack Yerushalayim because of fear of hitting one of the holy sites, right. uh, and uh, knowing the response that would be true, I think, everywhere for, for that kind of an attack, uh, meaning by rockets. Uh, so you have a, I mean, there is a, a message when you hit the place where the IDF is located, the headquarters of the IDF, etc., um, for for the citizens as well as for the leadership. It's right. a challenge. Yeah, I hear that. All right, uh, it's now March 15th. On the 9th of April, uh, that's when the Israeli election is going to be taking place. Uh, the New York Times this week made a big deal about the Donald Trump-Bibi Netanyahu relationship. Um, if, in fact, and they conjectured about the role that uh, the President of the United States might play, because remember, Bibi is coming to this country for APAC and likely for some type of state visit uh, at the White House, uh, whatever form it takes. Um, and they conjectured about the um, influence that Donald Trump, the president of the United States, might have on the Israeli election, especially because we know how popular Trump is in Israel. Now, is is it possible that before the election there will be some gift from Washington in terms of um, uh, the United States recognizing Israel's right to the Golan Heights and essentially calling for annexation of the Golan Heights? Well, it's not, it's not enough time, uh, I think, to actually get it through, but... But they gave the gift this week with uh, the report in which Golan is is called Israeli-controlled and not Israeli-occupied okay. territory. And there were statements by uh, Senator Graham, Lindsey Graham, who visited the Golan together with uh, the prime minister and said that he would fight for a resolution. And the continued attacks and the threat posed by Iran and the new discovery of a Hezbollah encampment inside one of the villages and the um, increasing attempts to encroach on the Golan and to, to threaten the population there. Uh, this is not the first time. They, by the way, the reports that Iran had hacked Gantz's phone also yeah, made headlines. <laughs> but the the um, the big story, obviously, was w- what they were doing on the, on the Golan and the... Um, you know, they they also found that that uh, one of the leading terrorists who was responsible for attacks against American troops in Iraq, including one that killed uh, five American uh, soldiers, uh, was was uh, back in in the the Golan General Golan uh, area, and so that already ro- you know raised um, people's uh, concern. A, the British had captured him, and after five years released him. And now he's back in the terrorists, which shows that the recidivism rate is is very high, as has been um, uh, talked about before. They also found that the um, another installation in Syria of Iran to to build missiles. So Israel's ability to to react in the and to use the Golan, protect the Golan, and use it as a forward base against 
the encroachments in Syria, that need continues all the time because we see that Iran's um, intentions are, remain the same, even though supposedly the funding for, um, for Hezbollah has gone down and Nasrallah has been making um, appeals. Um, but the the um, uh, senior Hezbollah operative has been working this new terror cell. Uh, his name is uh, Abduk, and he is the guy who killed the five servicemen, I think it was in 2007. So this is a um, you know, continuing uh, central front and the recognition by the United States at this, uh, of, the, of Israel as of Israel's controlled territory in the Golan, I think is an is a important step forward. Wow. Uh, by the way, just back to the gift for a moment. You know, a, a gift is not really a gift if no one knows about it. I hear what you're saying in terms of you know occupied being switched to controlled, but you know a real dramatic you know April surprise would be a massive statement you know with a prime minister in front of him by the president of the United States. You know, State Department language is a great gift, but probably no Israelis know about it. You know what I mean? Well, every Israeli knows this because it's the front page of every newspaper really? in Israel. That and language thing was a front page news about the about Israeli controlled yeah. territory. Hundred percent. That's a big. That's a big story because they changed the language in one of the, in the reports that they issued about the West Bank, but it's, it last year. Uh, but yes, this is big news everywhere in Israel. Unbelievable! I didn't realize that. All right, so. I guess you're right then, the president or whoever. <laughs> well, that doesn't mean that there isn't more coming. And when BB gets here, that uh, there may not be something, you know, Pence w- w- was in the region, visiting the region, and um, there are a lot of uh, I- exchanges taking place. And, and of course, uh, we think Mr. Trump would like to see his friend Netanyahu, whom he called a strong leader this week, uh, be reelected. So there, it's very uh, it's very possible. And if you've seen that uh, Jason Greenblatt's statements this this week very strong right. on on putting the onus on the Palestinians for rejecting the money that Israel gives minus the uh, money they were withholding, which is about eleven million dollars. They turned down one hundred and fifty million. He pointed out and uh, challenged uh, some of the traditional critics, saying that that if you really care, if they cared about the Palestinian people, that this would be uh, the response and the fact that that the leader Abu Mazen refuses to stop funding the terrorists and the murderers and the killers. And this is, um, uh, you know, really uh, so astonishing when you you give the price your people are paying, and then you take those who kill in in the most uh, outrageous way, convicted terrorists who get these these big um, payoffs, and and all the money that's being deducted is equal to the amount that that they're spending on this, and I don't know that any country in the world would tolerate this in, in a different way. Yeah. So, no you know, I think the administration has been standing up uh, to that commitment. Amazing! It's America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and AlchemSiegel.com, and the AlchemSiegel Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish organizations. We are going to uh, to we'll, we'll break uh, later on and drop earlier because Rabbi Uden's coming up, and then we get to speak with him live via telephone about the big 50th anniversary celebration. By the way, a lot of this is timing, like like you know what isn't timing, right? A lot of this is timing. I I conjecture. I, I have not looked this up. I should have had somebody do this for me, but I believe 
that this is the first time that this period of the year, right, Purim, Pesach, March, April, APAC, Passover, I think it's the first time that there's been an Israeli election. Are they traditionally, or haven't they been by coincidence, in the second half of the secular calendar year usually? Well, this was scheduled for November, but no, the elections often take place in this period. I mean, I can tell you because when we have our annual visit, the, the delegation of the Conference of Presidents has mm. so that's a big conference before. in Israel in February, always. There have been several times in recent years that we were in the middle of an election campaign. I mean, the last one, obviously, was Netanyahu right. almost four years ago, which is very unusual because the average Israeli government lasts two and a half years. And that was also this time of year? As I recall, it was. It's funny because I don't remember APAC becoming such a you know a, a big campaign spot. And I think every major candidate in Israel has said or has at least slotted themselves or had APAC slot them for a major address. Yeah, but I think the election was in it was in February, so they already uh, were it. over it. And also, APAC often was later in the year. But um, right. it's just going to be interesting because we really, I mean, to only to a only to a certain degree have we over here felt the Israeli campaign. And between the the uh, affection that the President of the United States has for the Prime Minister and the fact that he's obviously inviting him to Washington and the fact that AIPAC is now really turning into a platform for campaign speeches, it seems, during that week after Purim, we really, in this area especially, meaning the Northeast, we're really going to feel this Israeli election campaign to, to a degree that I don't think we felt before. Well, I think people are feeling it for a variety of reasons. One, um, because of the scandals and the you know the charges against the prime minister, so that anything that scandalizes things in Israel gets gets attention, and that Israel is a megaphone, meaning that anything that's said in Israel gets broadcast here, distorted often. But the you know the fascination with Israel is incredible. You'd think that uh, all of the other countries in the world that have elections, nobody could tell you who a candidate is. But I think in many cases, many don't know who the vice president of the United States is, but they'll often know who Bibi is, right. or at least to be able to identify the country. And the, uh, you know, the system is a different one. And because of that, people are, are interested in and the... Um, I think the, the BDS campaign, the issues around anti-Semitism, these also uh, highlight uh, Israel more and Jews, and therefore more attention is paid. And and everything that is done, I mean, things that in most countries nobody would pay attention about, you know, what minority party they bring into the into the coalition, right. and yet in Israel, everything becomes big news. Yeah, and and you also have this impression that this time you have a really close race. That's right, and, uh, you know, it keeps flipping back and forth, as I said, you know, early on, that it was much too early to see. Mm. We'll have to see. Blue and white has its own in- internal tensions. The Likud certainly has, but it looks like the Likud party is, is beginning to come together with the people... Um, I saw Sar said some things in defense of the prime minister, and others did. So um, it's um, you know the 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 process. Even though there's only a few weeks left, I think everybody would agree that it's uncertain exactly who will be able to form a coalition. Right now, the right seems to have the edge, but that 
keeps moving back and forth. And now there's a new announcement. The Attorney General is looking at the submarine affair, which was considered the most dangerous for Netanyahu, that they're reopening it based on other information. Oh, boy. So there's oh, a, you know, there are a lot of unknowns in, in all this. And I don't know how a security threat like the rockets, yep. does it raise questions or does it rally the people behind what they know versus what they don't know? Yeah. All right. You mentioned anti-Semitism. I've, I've got to interject for a second. This coming Sunday, in Queens is a rally to stand up for the Jewish people and speak out against anti-Semitism at the Vlai Place Library in Kew Gardens Hills. Elected officials and religious leaders will be there. Everyone, please try your hardest to be there at 1 p.m. in Queens this Sunday. And Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney and community leaders will be speaking out at a rally against anti-Semitism at Asphalt Green, 1750 York Avenue at 91st Street this coming Sunday at 2 p.m., there's been a sharp spike in anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York, including one at Asphalt Green last week. Uh, the reason I mention these in this context, uh, Malcolm, is aside from the fact that obviously you and I have discussed this as a very important topic over the last few weeks, is because we need to keep a scorecard. Everybody needs to keep a scorecard of which public officials are appearing at rallies like this, because uh, even even if they are you know advantageous politically. Still, in this atmosphere, it takes a little bit of guts to be out there with the Jewish community and with those who uh, respect the Jewish community to speak out. So, for instance, Carolyn Maloney, you know, get gets a you know gets some credit for what's going to be happening this coming Sunday. And every government official who does not speak out, we should note, and those who do speak out on these topics, we should take note of them. I agree one hundred percent. Carolyn Maloney actually has been working on the anti-Semitism issue, introducing legislation about education, et cetera, uh, for some time. Um, And the statements we've seen from uh, Gottheimer and Zeldin and Deutsch and um, Nita Lowy and uh, Elliot and others, they should be thanked. And the silence of others should be noted and and, uh, remarked upon. And, And, you know, this issue is far from over. We have to be smart in our responses. Uh, I think, you know, any manifestation that's done the right way is, uh, is uh, worthwhile and important. And it, but it's important that, that it's non-Jews who speak out because we're not the problem. We're the victims, but we're not the problem. The problem is that society has to take a, a strong stand, and every level of government has to take count. I know that there was an event yesterday with the police department in, in Bushwick mm, looking good. at the assaults against Jews and others, and you saw the neighborhood rally together, uh, both Jews and non-Jews, uh, I'm told. But the, um, but the fact is that the number of physical assaults here in New York and elsewhere has increased. The NYPD takes it seriously, but there has to be constant pressure and, and ongoing vigilance about this. It's, um, you know, it's not going to go away. Keep track, everybody, which of the local government officials are making statements and appearing at these demonstrations against anti-Semitism and which ones are not. By the way, I know this isn't a big issue, but I just have to, I got to mention it. Um, you saw Miri Regev eliminated, wants to eliminate the uh, diaspora. Yes. Tour. Yeah, I mean, look. I know I'm somewhat biased because I think that I'm in the diaspora and still really do have a close connection to Israel, but I don't know. I I think symbolically, if we are going to declare and believe that really Israel is the homeland of all Jews anywhere in the world and they're all welcome there, I think it's a mistake to do that. What what she did. Yeah. 
Yes, it was a mistake. It's not a first, and I think it's. Uh, I don't know why the necessity of going to public announcements about it, yeah. but she, um, you know, she. The process by which that was done was certainly questioned for a long time, and uh, it um, it was an unnecessary, another one of those unnecessary things. Uh, there was a meeting this week with uh, American officials and the King of Jordan. Correct? That happened this week. Yes. Uh, now, does that help with the Harabayat situation, or it's irrelevant to the Harabayat? Well, they've been meeting with Israelis to talk about the Shah uh, Rachim, um, the Golden Gate uh, controversy. As, as people know, it was closed for many years, and then they busted through. But the, the problem was that they started putting rugs and uh, to make turn it into a, another mosque, a prayer place. And once it's a mosque, you can't take it down. And this is an area that... Um, and Thank God that the Israeli police and others interceded, uh, because once they put a roof on it, even if it's temporary uh, uh, and the rugs are down and they're praying, that's done. Then it's a mosque. And when Israel took over the Temple Mount in 1967, there were there was one mosque there. There are now, I think this was number six. Wow. So it's not because they need another prayer place. It's meant to be an attempt to, to show that they control it and to increase their footprint and there there is an area there where much of the a lot of the uh, of debris and dirt that was taken when Arafat destroyed the area which the sifting project is based on well that same material some of it was left on the temple mount in that area and that's never been sifted through and nobody has had a chance to go through it because there's still after 10 years going through the stuff that was uh, put in the, in the dump, and so many discoveries, thousands of things have been found there. So this is, um, this is a very important area, and Israel has to say there are rules, and if they, otherwise they will just continue to, to expand their control, eliminating the chance for exploration, for archaeological work. But more importantly, it's, it's asserting sovereignty and control and violating the status quo. Uh, isn't it fascinating watching Polish officials continue to be insulted by what they conjecture was an insult by the Prime Minister of Israel regarding Poland's role in the Holocaust? Well, the President of Poland said, I think yesterday, to Yaakov Katz of the Jerusalem Post that, um, you know, whoever started the problem has to end it. It was Israel that started it, the controversy, and they have to end it. There's nothing Israel can do to end it. I mean, Israel can't lie. We can't obfuscate. Uh, you know, I don't want to see this controversy continue because not much is happening from it. But at the same time, you can't have the kind of revisionist history that that process uh, initiates and can lead further and further. You know, saying that the um, these were Nazi concentration camps is okay in Poland, but to, to exculpate and say that, that uh, Poles didn't have any role in it, you know, goes too far for, for and historians and others have been protesting it. And they are now making it a political issue, and it starts rallying people around it. The relationship between Poland and Israel has been very good. Um, so we'll see, but yeah, they don't give up on it. Yeah, they don't give up is right, and it's amazing to see how sensitive they are about it. Sometimes you think that uh, their sensitivity might just be because of the the tremendous burden of guilt that they feel. Um, you know, they're being accused of, uh, well, accused. It's being cited, how you know, their role in the Holocaust and uh, – all of a sudden, they're taking offense to it. Uh, I don't know if they would take this kind of offense if historically they they behaved differently during World War II. Frankly, um, the um, uh, the uh, the um, uh, 
<laughs> I totally lost my train of thought there for a second. Um, oh yeah, the, the 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 new situation, or now the current situation this week with the American consulate, embassy, etc., essentially just all been consolidated now into into one building in Jerusalem. Would that be the way to put it? Well, I think it's rationalizing it. That there was a you know a long time that people felt that it was an anomaly that the only consulate in the world that didn't report to an embassy was in Jerusalem, and it was considered the Palestinians' uh, embassy. Uh, and now the uh, facility, they consolidated their operations in, in the embassy, which is not uh, just a short distance away. There's talk that maybe that could become the ambassador's uh, future residence. It's a beautiful place. I've been in it many times, and a beautiful building, uh, very old, um, and it, but it's another statement, and of course the Palestinians objected um, angrily to it and said that they won't go to the uh, U.S. Uh, embassy in in, uh, in Jerusalem. Uh, they can still go to Tel Aviv for consular services if they get there. But the um, you know it's it, it's certainly on a symbolic level and maybe on a practical level very important statement. And all the fear that uh, that was going around in terms of what type of reaction there would be and how much violence would sprout up because of moves like this uh, doesn't seem like any of that ever materialized. Right, and what we saw in the last couple of weeks, um, more and more places, Hungary, others opening the trade facilities, uh, which have with diplomatic status, and to their precursors, their governments have said to a recognition into opening an embassy in in Jerusalem, and and supposedly there's another country that's uh, going to do it. Bolsonaro of, of Brazil is coming there, and he spoke during his campaign about opening embassy, but he said no decision has been made, so it's not likely that he'll do it before he gets there. But his visit is an important one, and he's been very outspoken pro-Israel and uh, supporter of Netanyahu. Uh, but Supposedly, there's another country that is uh, going to imminently and imminently announce uh, some presence in Israel and, in Jerusalem. And that country's name starts with a. I don't know. <laughs> well, you do know. You just won't tell us. That's <laughs> all. Um, <laughs> oh gosh, I, I'm completely losing it this morning. Here, every every thought that comes into my mind, I can't remember what it was a minute later. Um, your your locomotive. I, off the I'm track, telling you, I, I am totally. I I just had, I just had a great question. <laughs> You're too excited about Rabbi Yudin coming. <laughs> I just had a great question for you, and it completely escapes me now. It's unbelievable. About Iran, about the expansion of the Iran honoring Soleimani. Oh, no, it was this one that I actually saw in your Daily Alert yesterday? So they go ahead. The United Nations. They have this commission of inquiry on Gaza. They are citing all the violations of Israeli soldiers and not a word about the activity of the other side in those episodes, right? Yes. It's amazing, I'll tell you. It's not amazing. It's the, it's the rule. We're seeing it now. These are the weeks of the Human Rights Council and their reports. Thank God the report and the recommendation about blacklisting companies in the West Bank has been postponed. That's, that was the one of greatest concern. But they still have the annual item just on Israel. It's the only country in the world that has its own item, and then they'll pass their you know, usual spate of uh, anti-Israel resolutions, which are not rooted in fact or anything else. And yet the real violators of human rights get, get away with it, that they, they pointed a woman to the Commission on, on Women, which people are objecting to, but somebody representing the, um, uh, the government of the Iranian government, and uh, the worst violators, and they're, they're, you know, all exculpated and everybody 
it gets uh, passed at the United Nations, but Israel, while all the promises about changing things, including by the head of UNESCO and by others, we see that uh, it still remains basically the, the same. And finally, did you see, um, I don't know if you read about it, but the Arab Crowd Conference, uh, Venture Capital Funding co- Conference last Thursday in Jerusalem, did you see how many people were there from the Far East? There Un- were, yes, and I, I know some of them who were there. I got emails from them, and it's uh, it's. Uh, I've talked about this for a long time about the increased numbers that people generally don't respond, but they don't understand the implications of what it means that more than a hundred thousand Chinese are are coming to Israel that they are wanting to do business. You know, there's still the concerns about what it means and how they can carry it out, especially with the uh, Chinese company taking over the management of the ports. Uh, which the United States and others have objected to, the um, but the growing relationships with India, with China, with Japan, with uh, Vietnam uh, is really a remarkable story in and of itself. And there's not a week when you don't have a delegation coming, and sometimes multiple delegations coming to deal with Israel, and the same from Africa, from other parts of the world as well. Unbelievable. All right, I wish you a very happy Purim. We will... Uh... Get to Rabbi Yudin now and uh, continue. Will you be sober next Friday so we can continue? Or... I, I see you've been told about my Shushan Purim regular <laughs> practice. Uh, most are asking if I'm sober during the general Friday morning uh, conversations, not during the Shushan Purim conversations, frankly. Uh, but anyway, you know how you know how it is, Malcolm. If you want to, if you want to um, uh, observe the Israeli elections and get through it, it may not be a bad idea to take a drink while you're doing so. That may be the best That's piece. A strong of one, yeah. a very strong one. Anyway, have a wonderful Take Shabbat, and we, and we will speak Shushan Purim, right? Yes, we absolutely. will speak Shushan Purim, Bezrat Hashem, and a Shabbat Shalom. Malcolm Holine is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Six forty-two candle lighting time. A lot later than we've been used to because of daylight savings time. Tuesday, we're at the Kushner Schools, Joseph Kushner Hebrew Academy. Ray Kushner Yeshiva High School. We're at Kushner on Tuesday, everybody. Uh, getting ready to celebrate Purim with the students of Kushner. Wednesday's Tanis Esther. Thursday's Purim. Friday's Shushan Purim. It's going to be an amazing week ahead. Make sure you are tuned in to us here at JM and the AM and the Nahum Siegel Network. Told you about those two rallies. Try your hardest to be at the one in Queens and the one in Manhattan this coming Sunday. Uh, also, Ding has informed me that the uh, twins from France... Have a big Purim show. Uncle Maishi, Cousin Nachum, and the Twins from France this Sunday at the Aguda of Avenue L starting at 2 p.m. It's 2913 Avenue L in Brooklyn. Meet the new Uncle Maishi. Uh, tickets available at the door or go to jewishtickets.com, jewishtickets.com. Again, it's the big Purim show. Uncle Maishi, Cousin Nachum, Twins from France is coming Sunday at 2 p.m. at the Aguda of Avenue L in Brooklyn, New York. Mazal tov to Jeannie and Steve Savitsky. NCSY dinner coming up Sunday night. We say mazal tov to them and to all the honorees from all of us here at JM in the AM. This time each and every Friday, every Erev Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Uden. Good morning, Nachum. Good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of taking out to Sifri Torah. From the first one, we're going to read the first parsha in Sefer Vayikra, Parshas Vayikra, which according to the Chino contains 11 positive mitzvos, 
five restrictions, the introduction and the specification of the basic korbanos, the offerings that the Jewish people brought to Hashem. And please God, when we will have the third brace, Hamigdash will bring to Hashem. And the second Sefer Torah is that of Parshas Zohar. According to most commentaries, the reading of Parsha Zohar is deoraisa, is biblical. And that's why it's interesting the Shulchan Aruch goes out of its way to say that if a person lives in a small town and he is not sure if there's going to be a minion in the town, the Shabbos, they should make other arrangements and go to a community where there will be a minion for Parshas Zohar. And so similarly, I say to anybody who's listening that if they know in advance that they're not going to be in a situation where they'll be able to hear Pasha Zohar, it's certainly best to try to make those kind of arrangements. So before we go any further, let's take a peek at Parshas Zohar. It's found the last paragraph of Parshas Kiseitse, and that's at the end of uh, Kiseitse, the end of chapter 25, Pasuk 17, 18, and 19, where the Torah tells us to remember that which Amalek did to you, Baderech, literally on the way when you were leaving Egypt. When one nation attacks another one, very often they want the land. Amalek didn't want our land. And so what was it? Go to the next verse. Ashakorcha baderech, who happened to chance upon you on the, on the way. Vaizanev b'cha, and he attacked you literally from behind, like a tail. All those who were straggling from behind, the elderly, the weak, you as a people were not fit to go to war against them. You were weary and tired. And interesting, the Torah says, Elohim, and Amalek did not fear God. Now, what does that mean? Amalek didn't go to any yeshiva. Why should? How could Amalek have feared Hashem? And the answer to that is because the entire world knew of the splitting of the Red Sea. Shamu Amim Yirgazun. Literally, the entire world heard and they were frightened. They realized of the close relationship that Hashem had with the Jewish people. And so Amalek did not fear God. And to cite the famous example that Rashi gives to what may be compared. It may be compared to a boiling tub that everybody is afraid to go in because it is too hot. One fool jumped in. He truly burnt himself. However, in the process, he cooled it off for others. And so, too, Amalek, who was defeated or certainly weakened, as we're going to read on Puri morning, the last nine verses of Bishalach, yet he paved the way for others to attack the Jewish people. 
So the Torah says, V'hoyon it shall be. V'honiach Hashem when God is going to give you rest. Mikoliyavecha from your enemies. Misaviv about. Ba'aretz in the land that, that Hashem is giving you as an inheritance. Timcheh. You are to blot out the memory of Amalek, from under the heavens, lo tishkach, don't forget. It's interesting, the paragraph begins with Zohar, to remember, and it ends with the words, lo tishkach, not to forget. The rabbis say from here we learn that Zohar is paper, you are to articulate, not just remember in your mind, and lo tishkach, literally in your mind and in your heart. Interestingly, we learn from this word Zohar, that just as the word Zohar here means to articulate, so too when we come to the table Friday night, and the Torah says Zohar, as Yom HaShabbos Lekat show, to remember the Shabbos, to sanctify it, we don't stand around the table and say, ah, Everybody remember Shabbos. But just as here it means to articulate, so too we recite the Kiddush, we articulate the sanctity of Shabbos on Friday night. The Torah doesn't tell us how often all the rules of Pasha Zohar, how often this is to be recited, and therefore the rabbis tell us that even once a year would keep this fresh in our memory, and the Torah doesn't tell us when to do it. So our rabbis have taught us that we read Pasha Zohar, on the Shabbos annually before Purim, because Haman Harasha from the Megillah was a descendant of Amalek, and therefore before we celebrate Purim annually, we are reminded of the very important lesson of Timchet Ezecher Amalek. Now, I'd like to tie just for a moment the two Sifrei Torah that we have together. We begin the book of Korbanos. Now, the reason for Korbanos, there's no question about it, that if someone says, this is a chok, this is a law without a reason. Because after all is said and done, does God need our Korbanos? Of course not. He doesn't need anything. We are the ones who need. Now, the Rambam, Maimonides, in his More Nevuchim, in his Guide for the Perplexed, in Book 3, Chapter 46, offers an explanation for Korbanos, and he says that basically it is to wean Yisrael, the Jewish people, from idolatry. We were in Egypt, and we saw how the sheep was considered the god of Egypt. So we are told to take those very animals. The goat was the god of the Chaldeans. The cattle was the god of India. We're to take their gods and literally slaughter them. And in the process of so doing, we direct this to Hashem, bringing us closer to God. The Ramban has a different reason for Korbanos, to look upon as that which is happening to the animal, as if it's happening to us. Also, the effect upon the Korbanos 
in the heavenly strata. The bottom line is that according to the Rambam, the purpose of Korbanos is to take the people away from Avodazara idolatry. Now, what is Avodazara? Avoda means service, Zara, which is strange and foreign, meaning that which is not directed towards Hashem. Now, what is Amalek? Amalek stands, as the rabbis tell us in the second verse of Pasha Zohar, Ashakarcha. Amalek stands for Mikra. Mikra means literally to chance. There is no one calling the shots according to Amalek, meaning that there is man at the center of the universe, and we say no. Anima min be'emuna shlema. The Rambam, who codifies and lists 13 basic uh, principles of faith, Anima min be'emuna shlema. I believe with complete faith. Shabore is borach shemo, that the Creator, blessed is His name. Borei umanhig l'chol abruim. He creates and guides all creatures. And he alone, he alone has made, makes, and will make. God directs history. Now this is very, very important, because this is, in reality, Purim. After all, before we read the Megillah, please God, next Wednesday night, Next Thursday, we recite three brachos. The second bracha is She'oso Nisim Lavosenu, the exact same bracha that we recited on Hanukkah. Hanukkah, the miracle was obvious. A little bit of oil lasted eight days. Where's the miracle here? The miracle here is clearly that even, more, even though each chapter in of its own does not seem to be miraculous, when you look and realize that it's God who orchestrated the entire thing and that there is no such thing as mikre. But if you turn the letters around, it's all rak mehashem. It's all that which comes from God. And so the purpose of Parsha Zohar is for us to put things in the right perspective. And allow me once again to draw from the Megillah. But before we so do, let's remind ourselves that what is a Amalek? Amalek is that people, and this is how the late Reb Chaim Briska identified the term Amalek, those people who have as their raison d'etre, their very purpose for being, the desire to, God forbid, annihilate and kill the Jewish people, as Haman attempted to do. And as we have to this very day, Iran, ISIS, and who could have believed that in the United States Congress somebody would actually stand and espouse anti-Semitism? Now, how are we to react to this? So the instinctive reaction is we have to double our political involvement. And we do have to get involved with lobbying Congress and make and speaking out certainly 
against anti-Semitism. That is correct. However, there are some very important lessons, two in particular, that I believe we are to learn from the Megillah. If you take a look in the Gemara Megillah 15b, so the Gemara asks when Mordechai tells Esther in chapter 4, go to the king and plead for the lives of the Jewish people. In chapter 5, when she goes, she forgets her line. Instead of saying, save the Jews, what does she say? Uh, uh, could the king and Haman come to my party? Now, as a result of that, asking, the Gemara says, why? Why does she invite Haman? Let the king come, that she can present her case. So, the Gemara tells us, in the name of Reb Nechemiah, quote, K'day shalo yomru Yisrael, so that the Jewish people shouldn't say, achos we have a sister in the royal palace. We're well connected. And as a result of that, they're going to rely upon Esther. And they're going to neglect praying for Hashem's mercy. The idea is what brought about the salvation of the Jewish people at that time. Of course, Mordechai and Esther. But ultimately, the Gemara is saying it was the prayers, the fasting, the unity of the Jewish people. And going one step further, on the verse in chapter 6, when the king can't sleep, and who is that king? And we know it's not only Achashverosh, but it's God himself. So in the Megillah we read that Haman took the levush and sus. He took the garments of the king, he took the horse of the king, and goes to find Mordechai. He finds Mordechai giving a shear. He waits to the end and he asks the students, what was it all about? And the students say, he was telling us about Kamitza, that when a person in this week's parasha, chapter 2 of Ayikra, brought a korban mincha, brought a meal offering, the Kohen took a fistful of the fine flour, said Haman to the students of Mordechai. Listen carefully. He said the following, that your taking of the kemach, your taking of the um, flower, did more than my 10,000 uh, talents of silver that I had prepared for the um, annihilation of the Jew. So once again, what does it show? It shows that the idea of our performing mitzvos is what ultimately saved the day. And finally, the Rambam, in his introduction to his order of mitzvos, how he presents them in the work of the Rambam. The Rambam writes, how could the rabbis institute mitzvos? Is it not a violation of Baltosef? You shouldn't add to the Torah. And he says, absolutely not. The rabbis always find a source from within the Torah. And what is the source of Purim? Turn to the fifth book of the Torah, chapter 4, verse 7, 
Kimi goi godol, says the Rambam. Who is a nation such as the Jewish people? Asheloelokim krovim love that has a God who's so close to it, Kashem Elokeinu, as our God, Bechol Koreinu love that when we call out to Him, He is there for us. This, my friends, is Purim. So, of course, we have the mitzvot hayom, but we can't forget how our growing in our devotion to Hashem is the greatest response, an ultimate response to anti-Semitism. I pray that our reading of Parsha Zohar is going to inspire us and that we're going to have not only a meaningful Shabbos, but we'll take this very much to heart as we go into the festive Yom Tov of Purim. Shabbat Shalom to all. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos, JM in the AM. We'll speak with Rabbi Yudin in just a moment. I remind you that on the 7th of April... A um, an event celebrating the 50 years of dynamic leadership at Congregation Shomri Torah and beyond, celebrating the incredible uh, careers of Rabbi Benjamin and uh, Rebbe Tinshevi Yudin is going to be happening up in Muncie, New York at the Atrium. Everybody out there is encouraged to go to yudintribute.org, yudintribute.org. Uh, certainly, we want everyone to attend the dinner and be there for the big celebration. It's April the 7th. If you're not able to attend, then certainly donate in honor of the Udins. Uh, it's easy to do it on the page, udintribute.org. And frankly, those of you who've never met Rabbi Udin but have been enjoying and been gaining from his insights over the last 35-plus years here at JM and the AM, uh, we recommend that you uh, pay tribute to the Udins uh, at this time, after all these decades, by going to udintribute.org, udintribute.org, and participating in the 50th anniversary celebration. As I said, we have an opportunity today to speak to Rabbi Yudin and reflect a little bit uh, on the last 50 years and the current state of the um, of great American rabbinic leadership uh, that's happening in this country. Uh, Rabbi Yudin, I welcome you back to JM in the AM. Uh, to many, to so many out there, uh, I should really call you Rebbe, with all that you have taught us over these last many decades through these airwaves. Welcome to JM in the AM. Thank you very much. Rabbi Yudin, am I right that 50 years goes by very quickly? Incredibly so. Wow, David HaMelech says it so correctly. Yes, very, very quickly. It was 50 years ago that you started to um, have an impact leadership-wise in Fairlawn, New Jersey. You said to me over the telephone this week that back then, 50 years ago, uh, what was the exact figure? How many families were part of the community? We started with 17 families. (laughs) And today, Baruch Hashem, it's much more than that. Thank God. And you've had an opportunity not only to lead the Fairlawn community, but to... uh, uh, fill many distinguished positions in the uh, Jewish community, in the world of Jewish education. Uh, you know, a, a conversation that many of us in the Siegel family had with our father of blessed memory multiple times. And that conversation was, would you recommend this job to a nice Jewish boy? Would you tell 
those who are considering leadership roles in the Jewish community to consider the American Jewish rabbinate? The answer to that is most definitively yes. If I had the choice to do it all over again, the answer is yes. It is nothing less than a privilege. The Gemara tells us that when some students were asked to take on this position of rabbi, so they hesitated and their Rebbe said to them, Rora, do you think I'm giving you a position of honor? Avdus, I'm giving you a position of servitude. But to serve the Jewish community is an incredible privilege. It's something which is taxing almost 24-7, but commensurate with the effort that one puts in, there comes an incredible sipuk hanefesh, an incredible sense of satisfaction, personal growth, and gain at the opportunity of literally being so involved in so many different ways with so many individuals and, thank God, institutions. The answer is most definitively it is an exceedingly rewarding, if we have to call it a profession, let's call it that, but exceedingly rewarding. And you say all these kind words about the profession uh, during an era when rabbis, young rabbis and older ones, are facing problems and questions and situations that prior generations would never have believed are, in fact, problems and questions um, even with those difficulties and even with the complicated uh, um, um, scenarios that need to be decided upon, you still would say it is worthwhile pursuing it? Most definitively, yes. The answer is yes, because after all is said and done, Nachum, the nature of man has not changed. And that Torah as our guide and Torah to respond to literally every aspect of our life, that hasn't changed. Circumstances change, but the rule book has not changed. And the application, while it might change, but its essence is there. And so um, it is so exciting to watch so much personal growth, you know, so much communal growth. Um, I can only say, Nachem, that when... I was privileged to start. There was no JM in the AM. When I was privileged to start, the Jewish community at large was so different. There was so much less learning done at that time. Um, I can only tell you, let's look at Fairlawn, New Jersey. When I came, and understandably so, because Fairlawn was and is like a suburb of Patterson. Right. Patterson at one time was an ear of Aim the Yisrael. Many, many um, um, refugees had come to Patterson, mm-hmm. set up shop there, literally factories, etc. And as they did better financially, so they bought nicer homes in Patterson, and they went over the Passaic River approximately two miles away to Fairlawn. So right. understandably... The first ones that came to Fairlawn were not the most 
committed to having an orthodox shul. And so they had interestingly uh, asked the local conservative uh, Rav if they could please use his chapel for um, services on Yom Noroyim. And ouch, because he said no, that is really what called for. These people said, we need to have some of that old-time Baruch Hashem tradition. And just to go back and reflect a little bit, that there, were, there was no yeshiva high school in all of New Jersey at that time, North Jersey. So there were some young men going to MTA, and uh, their rabbi, Rabbi Gordon, realized they didn't have in Fairlawn an Orthodox shul. He went to Yeshiva University, who had a new communities bureau, Rabbi Hurt, Rabbi Dobrinsky at that time. And the rest, as they say, is history. In 1969, when I was privileged to uh, get smicha, there had already been approximately 17, like I said, families that had banded together. And uh, at that time, just to show the demographics, how it's changed, there were three large already functioning conservative synagogues. There is, was one reformed synagogue. Today, there's only, unfortunately, and I say this because there's only one and a half conservative synagogue. There is no reform. And unfortunately, the majority of those that dropped out did not go to Orthodox shuls. While there are today, thank God, six Orthodox shuls in Fairlawn, yes, we have Baruch Hashem grown as as a community and with all its amenities that it needs, but at the same time, we have to realize that there's still a great deal of work to be done out there, whether you want to call it Kiruv or simply bringing back so many of our Chenu Kobes Yisrael, bringing them unto our very special fold. Rabbi Yudin is with us live via telephone, April 7th, the big dinner. What was the first Parsha, Rabbi Yudin? You started in Fairlawn. What, what week was the first uh, Parsha that you were there? Well, I started on Rosh Hashanah ah. in September of um, 1969. But I can tell you, Nachum, that my first parsha on, uh, it wasn't called at that time J.M. in the A.M., but my first, and I think we should just give um, the one who, Norman Laster, who invited me at that time to give the um, debut uh, Devar Torah, was on Parsha's bow. Hmm. He said, Rabbi, (laughs) do me a favor. Give it Vartorah once, and the rest, as you know, <laughs> is history, thank God. And I'm glad you mentioned Norman, because uh, Norman Laster of blessed memory, because the reality is that every time anybody around the world hears the uh, Parshas HaShavua, the Torah portion from Rabbi Yudin, uh, Norman's neshama gets, uh, gets a lift, because he is, as Rabbi Yudin just said, uh, responsible for that. And uh, we want to give him, of course, proper credit and that uh, all of this uh, should be as close for his neshama. Um, the um, the event is April 7th, everybody. We are encouraging everyone around the world, those who know the Yudins, those who do live in Fairlawn, those who don't live in Fairlawn, 
those who've been with the Udins at Camp Hillel and other places during the summer, those who've been with Rabbi Yudin at JSS and other programs up at Yeshiva University, uh, pay tribute and be part of uh, Shomri Torah's 50th anniversary celebration celebrating Rabbi Benjamin and Chevy Yudin. It's very easy. Go to yudintribute.org. We'd love for everybody to make a reservation for the dinner, but again, if you can't be there on April 7th, certainly donate at yudintribute.org. And Rabbi Yudin, uh, obviously, and everyone knows this without me saying it, but I'll say it, uh, I'm sure that you and the Rebbitson are not exactly 100% comfortable with this whole, you know, tribute situation. But in a way, wouldn't you say that this is a this is also a tribute to Shomrei Torah? It's a tribute to the Fairlawn Jewish community because you described just minutes ago how there were fighters, there were people at the beginning of this whole process who who wanted authentic Judaism, who wanted the tradition to be in their neighborhood. So, so you would say, I'm sure, that it's not just you and the Rebetzin, but it's all those who fought with you, it's all those who progressed with you, it's all those who learned with you, who also get credit for this half a century. Not just credit, Malcolm. You are so right. Let's just remember something. Anytime. Mincha, Mincha, we have eight, and the rabbi walks in. We still just have nine. Right. We don't have a minion. Well, there's no question. He might help to lead and be a force within, but there's no question that he cannot do it alone. And uh, I-, I was so privileged. I'm going to tell you, Nachum, what makes our Beis HaKnesses unique is that it is most heterogeneous. From the very beginning, there were those who were um, raised within Orthodoxy, and from the very beginning, we were privileged to attract uh, those who saw something meaningful, special to it. I'm going to give you one or two examples that because we had such a strong, solid foundation, when we, I started and the Pesachnetis started in the basement of a house, a very small room. And then we were privileged to expand to the side yard, which was approximately 30 feet wide, 50 feet long. So I mentioned that at the time that we would be um, building that extension to the home, that we would be burying Shamos. Okay, now one of the Baalei Tshuva in the uh, in our Beisach Knesses, who never heard of burying Shamos, but he heard the term burying on the day that we had, you know, that dedication, and we were going to bury the Shamos. He came with approximately four or five little coffins. And at first I didn't even realize, like, what's this? And he said, Rabbi, we're burying Shamos. And I looked and I realized how sincere, meaningful this act was to them. Now that's just the smallest example of the, the, the earnestness with which so many put into this uh, Beis HaKnesses, and I really believe that it's because of their sincerity, because of their true devotion, and uh, I'll say emuna pshuta, that we were privileged to have the great success that we've had, over the years. Unless this uh, should go to our heads, we should realize that whatever brachos HaKadosh Baruch Hu has showered upon us, there still is a great deal to be done 
even within our community, not only the opportunity that each Pesach Knesset today has, to have the influence beyond the immediate community, but still within the immediate community, there's a great deal to be done, uh, despite the fact that, thank God, we or especially because of the fact that we've accomplished so much. So I think that while, yes, it certainly is, a great uh, tribute to the community. And especially, let's understand something. When newer families move in today, they find a mikvah, they find an Eruv, they find kosher establishments. But now you have to put yourself back. The, the joy and the excitement that we had in literally creating all of the very basic you know, amenities right. and necessities that a community needs. And you, you can't imagine and appreciate the difference between something that you have literally um, raised the money for, that you realize the struggle, the sacrifice, you know, that is certainly much more endearing. And so, therefore, it's a greater challenge to try to involve the newer families and to give them that sense of excitement. I remember, Nachum, that we used to advertise going back years ago if you have a pioneering spirit, come and join us in Fairlawn, New Jersey. Right. Thank God, Baruch Hashem, things have changed. <laughs> Rabbi Yudin, we, we, I have a minute left, but there's two things I got to do. First of all, um, <laughs> nobody would believe this, but the 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 uh, sacrifice is the wrong word. You and you and I joke about this more than we talk about the sacrifice, uh, and that is the um, the situations that have almost interfered <laughs> with getting the the uh, Parshas HaShavua on the air every week for 35-plus years, uh, more, more years for you, but the 35-plus that I've been here, uh, whether it's um, – uh, whether it's uh, you're at a bris or, God forbid, some other type of occasion or uh, or you and I in Chevron together and I'm passing the phone to you <laughs> because we make sure to meet together so we could do it together, uh, whether it's phone lines down. And you remember this. You remember in the old radio station, the phone lines went down more than once and you actually had a messenger get us a recording as soon as possible in the days before email and all that stuff. Uh, so I, I think, again, some people would call it dedication. I think you and I look at it with more of a, of a smile and, uh, and, and uh, you know, with the, with the levity involved in terms of how we sometimes have to make sure to get the Parsha Shavu on the air. But the bottom line is that you and I both believe that nobody can go into Shabbos. And for some people, you know that the Friday morning JM and the AM is their Shabbos observance. You and I know that. And nobody can go into Shabbos without hearing something about the Parsha, correct? Yes, and I can't tell you what an incredible privilege it's been for me. I mean it. And I can only thank all... One second. The listeners out there saying, most of the time I don't have an opportunity to think about this, but most of my colleagues prepare one drusha for each Shabbos. Right. I've had the, the challenge of two, because <laughs> I can't recall ever repeating on Shabbos morning what I've said on Friday morning. <laughs> right. Because 
too many of them. Thank God. Listen, <laughs> every once in a while now, I'm guilty that a few years later, I might go back to a radio program, <laughs> but don't tell anybody. But other than that, um, it's been for me such personal growth and, and an opportunity once again to, to become acquainted with uh, so many different people in so many different communities. And uh, I'll tell you personally, the challenge always was to find something that will, I can't say Moses, I don't want to turn off the more learned community, right. and uh, I have to translate in order to satisfy the not yet learned community, right. and thank God your audience is so uh, diverse, that I have to find truthfully something that excites me. And once I'm excited, I try to share that excitement with everybody else. And finally, uh, while Rabbi Yudin would continue to insist wrongfully that he does not deserve this recognition, he certainly would agree that Rebetzin Shevi does deserve the recognition. So to you and the Rebetzin, Rabbi Yudin, we say Mazel Tov, and I thank you again for everything, and we'll see you, Bezrat Hashem, on April the 7th. Thank you. Shabbat Shalom. Oh, yes. Shabbat Shalom is right. Uh, Rabbi Benjamin Sheviyudin's 50 years of dynamic leadership at Congregation Shomer Torah and beyond will be recognized on April 7th. Be at the dinner. Go to yudintribute.org. If you can't be there or if you're somebody who's gained from Rabbi Yudin over all these years but has never met him, whatever the situation, please donate and support. Go to yudintribute.org. Time to take a Shabbos with Journeys at JM in the AM. So throw away your hammer. There's nothing left. Reminder, Naomi Nachman is next with a brand new edition of Table for Two, the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by our wonderful friends at Kedem, starts at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. 
Harry Rothenberg's video blog, Parshas Vayikra, coming up at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Siegel with Avrami, and of course, Matis with JM Sunday coming up starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday morning. Achenu Bishrael and Achim brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners, sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web at NachumSiegel.com, on the NachumSiegel Network, and of course, on the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing week. Want to thank Aaron's Casino Farms, sponsoring our NSN on the road in Israel. Don't forget Aaron's Casino Farms. I will be there today, Bezrat Hashem, in Queens. They have the brand new Hava Java. We wish them a very special Mazdav on that. You'll see it when you walk into Aaron's Casino Farms in Queens. Uh, we are back next week with more amazing programming, including our visit to the Kushner School on Tuesday with JM and the AM. Make sure to be tuned in. Make sure to keep it right here for all the fabulous programming all day long. A wonderful Shabbos. Great weekend, everybody. Till Monday, Nachum Single reminding you, remember the past, live the present, and trust the future.